Good afternoon. Welcome to Screen Cleaning. And on Screen Cleaning today, it's the season of love. We're going to be talking about romantic comedies. We're going to be talking about romantic TV shows. And we're going to be even talking about romantic radio. And it's a special spin of a show because the three of us, Cole, Mickey, and I, have issued each other some challenges if you were listening last week, and we'll get to those in a minute. But as you know, on Screen Cleaning, each and every week, we like to do our darndest to shine a big old spotlight on all that is good in the entertainment industry. And so we should probably start out with some news that I am so extremely excited about. And then some more news that we're less excited about. Right. Uh, So... If you know me, if you've listened to the show, then you know I'm a fan of the show's Breaking Bad and more especially Better Call Saul. And I think at this point, if you haven't watched it uh, and you probably don't care if we spoil this little piece of information for you because it's necessary to divulge this information to set up this piece of news. So at the end of Breaking Bad... Jesse Pinkman. I won't say who he is. We won't get into all that. But if you, you'll probably know Jesse Pinkman gets away, escapes. We don't know where he goes or whether he gets picked up by the cops or what. However, Vince Gilligan, the creator of Breaking Bad, is making a Breaking Bad movie. And that's not news. No, the we news that. is that it will be coming to Netflix. Yes. So we still don't have a premiere date yet. But the news we got this week is that it will show up on Netflix before it airs on AMC, the network that birthed Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul and all of its iterations. Is there any word on Brian Cranston's involvement with that he has project? Been seen it's, on set. It's all speculation. Brian Cranston likes to visit his friends on the set of Better Call <laughs> Not Saul. Not necessarily dressed up like Walter White, but right. he is but he's there. there. And he's never made an appearance on Better Call Saul yet, but he's been seen on set there, yet. too. So this is kind of interesting because usually Netflix will release something theatrically first so it can be eligible for an award and then it puts it on Netflix. And I mean, that tactic seems to have worked because they've they picked up quite a few nominations for the Academy Awards and it's possible that they could win a Best Picture Academy Award. Isn't that amazing? This could be the first time that a foreign film wins the award for Best Picture. Speaking of Rama. Yep. Just doesn't happen. Okay, so speaking of movies and speaking of news that we're excited about, first of all, well, we should probably order these in the amount of excitement that we're feeling by these trailers, right? Okay, so they are all tied for third <laughs> on my say, list. <laughs> no, I would think the trailer for Aladdin is a dead last for me. So do you want to start dead last and work our way up since you uh <laughs> No, let's that talk about bit? Frozen 2 first, shall we? Okay. Now, I'm not super excited for this one, but I know that there are a lot of little girls out there who are excited for this. Two of which live in your house. (laughs) Yes, and I know Disney's excited about this because this was like their biggest princess movie hit Yeah, like the toy sales are crazy for this. And little dress sales and stuffed animal sales. My only question is, though, by the time this thing finally comes out, do you think there's going to be a little bit of frozen fatigue? Because we've had so many Frozen specials, including the one that they slapped on the front of Coco that everybody complained about. We have all the toys. We have the Broadway musical. So do you think people are just going to be burned out? No. Are people going to be thawed out, I should say? I mean, if they're not already. Because yeah. They gave it enough time. If right. this was coming out the next year and Let It Go was still on the radio as it was mm. for a whole year after Frozen came out, then maybe we'd be talking about it. But they've given it enough time to breathe. Right. People okay. can come back to it. And I'm sure it will be a decent movie. You know, I don't think it will be it bad. It looks like an adventure it movie. Does. The it trailer is so epic. cool. Looks like she's exiled somewhere, trapped on some island Practicing or her superpowers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's Frozen 2. You can check out that teaser trailer. Another trailer that came out is also, a, also, oh, also, yes, it is a teaser trailer. It seems so rare nowadays that we get a trailer that doesn't actually just give away mm-hmm. the plot of the entire movie. That's true. I felt like I could watch this trailer, get a little bit excited, and not know everything. A true teaser. It was nice. The Hustle, starring Rebel, Rebel Wilson and I almost said Anna Paquin, but um, 
She Anne is going to be in a movie that we talk about later on today. Anne Hathaway. So uh, I, at first I thought, okay, this is obviously a remake of Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. And we have a clip from the trailer that really proves my theory that this could be an exact replica of Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. I am very moved by your story. Order anything you like. I'll have a club sandwich and an order of fries. Two slices of cake. Do you want any cake? No. Three slices of cake and a Diet Coke. So Anne Hathaway and Rebel Wilson play these two con artists. Anne Hathaway is the more sophisticated one. Rebel Wilson is the more... Uh, I don't want to say sleazy one, but like the the one that's not as polished, we'll say. Right. And this mirrors perfectly a scene from Dirty Rotten Scoundrels in which Steve Martin is giving this sad sob story and he pretends like he doesn't have any money on this train and then he gets all this free food out of it. Same thing here. Looks like it could be fun. Rebel Wilson is a pretty good talent and we're going to talk about her as well later on in the show. But I guess it's something that you could check out but keep in mind it is a remake of dirty rotten scoundrels we verified that on wikipedia <laughs> yes but the jeff tagline did, the jeff tagline, does his research for this show he <laughs> visits at least one wikipedia page a week the tagline sure. does says they're giving dirty rotten men a run one for, for their, their money. money even if it's not a du- direct remake it will you know there's at least some sort of tie okay right All right, now let's talk about the teaser trailer. It's still not a full-length trailer, still a teaser. People have been waiting and waiting uh, for the inevitable uh, train crash to happen, and I think it has happened. Can we get a taste of that, Cole? You really don't know who I am. Genie, wishes, lamp, none of that ringing a bell. Sounds like Will Smith. In West Philadelphia, born and raised on the playground was where I spent most of my days. Keep going. <laughs> That's about all I can do. Chilling out, maxing, relaxing, and cool. And shooting some b-ball outside of school. People everywhere online are, are saying that he, sa- he sounds and looks just like the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. But blue. But blue. And another thing that we're seeing so much of online is people are posting endless pictures of Tobias Funke from Arrested Development <laughs> Where he's all made up in blue makeup because he's trying to get into the blue man group. I've also seen a really cool Photoshop of Robin Williams kind of put into like his face, his very expressive Robin Williams face made into the genie. To be fair to Will Smith, he was never going to win because of Robin Williams, right? This is the movie that Robin Williams kind of stole the show and it was basically just his movie. So he's got some big blue shoes to fill or maybe some blue suede shoes. I don't think there's an Elvis <laughs> connection there, but um, we like to be cheesy on screen cleaning. I don't know. What do you guys think? I mean, the other Disney remakes haven't been awful, right? I think they've all been... <laughs> Glowing reviews right, from Right. They Randall. have all been enjoyable. I don't think, you know, there might not have been anything special. So I'll probably still go see Aladdin. Do I think it's going to be like this amazing, amazing thing? No. I think I think this will be the first Guy Ritchie film that I don't like. I think that it's going to continue along the line of Will Smith movies that have not lived up to my expectations of this man that I had in the mid-90s. Mm. Well, Cole, maybe if you rub a little lamp and make a wish, we'll see another good Will Smith movie. That's all I want, really. I'm just I'm on a roll with these puns and, and special little cheesy jabs. We've got to keep that going. Cole, I understand that you saw a movie that you were really looking forward to, and we need to hear your review of Happy Death Day to You. Thank you. Also Wait on a screen, not to you specifically, <laughs> Jeff, to Tree is the name of our protagonist in these movies. Also on screen cleaning, we give the best kind of reviews as well. And so I'll try to keep things positive as I review a less than sequel to the original. Hmm. Okay. So in the first Happy Death Day, we are introduced to Tree, a jerk college student in a sorority that has to repeat the day over and over again until she learns her lesson and finds the person who's also been trying to kill her. It is a slasher horror, PG-13, fun Groundhog Day movie. Wow. What a description. The second movie is less 
condensable. It, it's harder to explain <laughs> what this movie is because it goes in so many different directions. It's horror back to the future part two. But not a lot of horror, more teen comedy. Okay. So there is a slasher, but only in a couple times. There's also, I don't know if anyone has seen Stargate SG-1 in the room, but there's a time loop episode of that where MacGyver and Teal'c are trying to figure out how Thank to get the formula. Thank you for putting it in terms we can understand. <laughs> They're trying to figure out this thing, doing translations, and so at the end of each loop, they have to memorize it because everyone else forgets. And there's a part of Happy Death Day to You where our protagonist, Tree, has to remember this formula to figure out how she keeps going back in time. And she so the, has to relay it back to there's them. There's math involved? There's math involved. There's an, a half-cocked explanation of why she was going back in time in the first place. Then they tried to do the Back to the Future 2 thing in the middle. And then it turns into another bunch of time loop stuff. It, it's a very confused movie in what have, it wants to do. Have you spoiled so much that I no longer need to see this movie? And I, I don't feel like I spoiled anything. Okay. <laughs> it's I just very Why is her name convoluted. Tree? It's actually all the names. Teresa, and oh, they call still her Tree. Weird. That's a bit of a stretch a itself. Tree? Tree? Like, why couldn't her like, name be Rachel or something? If it's Teresa, shouldn't it be Teree? Teree. Maybe it is, and mm. everyone was just pronouncing it wrong. Okay. So it sounds like you were a little disappointed in Happy Death Day to you. I was. I'm also, to be fair, a big horror movie fan, and this one has absolutely no horror in it there is still mm. a slasher being the same baby-faced fella that's in but it's a, and it's different but i i really respected what this movie was doing for half of it where they weren't just gonna do groundhog day again and again and again just slightly different they were trying to do something totally different but then halfway through the movie they end up doing groundhog day again and again and it's again. i think they were proud of the fact that they had switched genres between films or with the second film they switched yeah, the genres. If this had really been the sci-fi kind of time travel movie that it started off as, I would have liked it more. I I don't fault it for trying to do something different. I wish it really had okay. done that different thing. Well, now let's talk about a movie that you may be more likely to see, if especially if you're going on a date this weekend to celebrate Valentine's Day. We've all seen the trailers of Rebel Wilson in the film, Isn't It Romantic? And I, I'll, I'll admit, I laughed and chuckled when I saw this trailer, and I was a little uh, surprised and maybe a little hurt whenever we'd see the trailer uh, together, my wife and I, and she would say, oh, that looks like a great gal date to go on. And so immediately <laughs> I was cut out of that viewing experience with my wife. I don't know if she thought I wasn't going to like it or that I would make fun of it, but it's you don't really make fun of it's a movie things that fun are of making itself. fun of its yeah, That's of fine. of romantic comedies, right? So the jokes on her though because I actually saw this film before she did. <laughs> and the whole time I was watching it, I had this big grin on my face thinking my wife is going to have a blast watching this film. And I started taking note of all of the romantic comedies that they make reference to in this film. Do you guys want to hear it or would that be too much of a spoiler? Yes, please. Go for it. So you're going to hear or see references to Pretty Woman, uh, 13 Going on 30, Notting Hill, Sweet Home Alabama, The Wedding Singer, When Harry Met Sally, Jerry Maguire – I know this isn't really a romantic comedy, but there is uh, Wayne's World in there. She's All That and My Best Friend's Wedding. So I've seen one of those movies. Yeah. So kind of the usual suspects of romantic comedies, right? That would but be, no references to the usual suspects, unfortunately. Not, That'd be yeah. more my kind of yeah. movie. <laughs> so um, I was a little skeptical when I saw the trailer because I thought that looks like all of the funny parts are in the trailer. Because, you know, they weren't like – drop dead funny they were just amusing enough usually that's a sign that oh boy because if you're putting your best stuff in your trailer the rest of it's not going to be that great so i was a little worried but you're going to be pleasantly surprised because you will laugh and have a good time throughout this movie it, it, it is exactly the type of dumb fun entertainment that it's skewering and that it's presenting presenting itself to be so if you don't know the story rebel wilson uh is 
this girl that doesn't have the best image of herself. To be fair to her, she's grown up with her mom saying, girls like us don't uh, get guys like Richard Gere and Pretty Woman because we're not Julia Roberts. She's this architect that people kind of just step all over, don't take her seriously. And one day she gets mugged on a train or on the uh, the metro, and she passes out because she runs into this pillar. And when she wakes up, she, everybody is just like drop-dead gorgeous. All the guys, all the male doctors are incredibly handsome. And everybody thinks that she is this drop-dead gorgeous supermodel-type woman. She's very successful at her career all of a sudden. And it almost becomes like it's the Wizard of Oz because you have these other characters who are existing in this alternate reality who take on completely different personalities. And it is a hoot to watch. And it really does skewer the romantic comedy genre. This will make, like I said, for a great date night. Both men and women should have a good time. And there are plenty of positive messages to enjoy here. Make sure that you love yourself. You have worth even if you don't have a man in your life. And don't define others by their body type or by their sexual orientation. And uh, again, it's it's a fun film. There are some things that you should be concerned about because it is PG-13. But one of the funny things that you see is kind of a gag that you've seen on The Good Place where she can't use really explicit language, which makes for some fun gags, even if they're not totally original. Anyway, I think this is a good segue into teasing. Speaking of teasers, what we're going to be talking about when we come back from the break Last week on Screen Cleaning, the three of us issued each other some Valentine's Day-themed challenges. And when we return, we're going to see if we followed through with those challenges and whether or not we had a good time doing it. That's up next here on Screen Cleaning. back to screen cleaning. This is our special Valentine's Day themed episode. And today on screen cleaning, we've issued each other some Valentine's Day themed challenges, some that, you know, we were willing to accept others we were less excited about. All sorts of media is full of messages on love this time of the year. And so we tried to explore all different sorts to see what we would see. We're going to be covering three different media or three different mediums mediums of media. media. Thank Mm -hmm. you, Cole. So we're going to let Cole go first. We issued a challenge to Cole to watch three romantic comedy films. I had the most conventional one, (laughs) and it's because I'm the one in the room that has seen the least number of rom-coms in my day. But we tried to go easy on you. We know that 1999 is your favorite year in film, so we gave you three picks from the year 1999. Which I was appreciative of because I'll start with the best one of the bunch and the one that where I recognized the most people. She's all that. Hey! Was very much the teen. <laughs> I recognized some people because I love horror movies of the late 90s <laughs> and oh early 2000s. Funny. Yeah. And having Freddie Prince Jr. and Matthew yep. Lillard in the same thing brought me back to my Scooby-Doo days. And Freddie Prince Jr.'s girlfriend of the time, soon to be wife, Sarah Michelle Jeller, shows up in the cafeteria in just a, a one-line thing. In She's All That. That was like the bulk of the casts in the 90s horror movies right there. It was fantastic. And you throw in Eldon Henson, who's been in uh, Daredevil recently. Rachel he was Lee in a Cook. horror movie, Idle Hands. Mm-hmm. And Nobody's probably many, heard of that others. film. Dooley Hill <laughs> no. is also in this movie from West Wing fame in the early 90s that oh, I, I don't remember Late that. 90s that I enjoy. The TV the late, show. The so late you Paul did Walker. like the movie. I enjoyed it. I So I've <laughs> okay. never... I specifically avoided rom-coms in my day. I just haven't happened to see them. And watching these three, I realized I do kind of enjoy these movies. They're not ones that I would specifically pick out and watch on my own on a Thursday night like I was doing this week. But I am not opposed to watching them with a group of people. And I know you got up and started dancing along with them when they had that choreographed dance scene at the prom, right? Not exactly. But I have seen that dance 
before, and now I know what that's from. Okay, so you enjoyed it the most of the three. What was kind of the middle ground of the three picks? The Bachelor. <gasps> really? Which is a familiar sounding title, if you have been paying attention to the show as well. But It'll The Bachelor, up, the sure. movie starring Chris O'Donnell, uh, who in the mid-90s was, of course, a heartthrob because of his take on the boy wonder in The Batman Oh, franchise. yeah. That's why I went to see those movies. <laughs> but then also Renee Zellweger, who would go on to do the Bridget Jones trilogy, is also in this movie. This hmm. was – it was interesting because the the 90s were an interesting time of, like, early meta humor. Scream was the horror yep. icon mm-hmm. of doing that. And this rom-com was kind of doing what you were talking about, this Isn't It Romantic doing, where they make fun of rom-coms. Sure. All the way through this – it was a joke on rom-coms, which I felt like I was in on because I had just seen two other rom-coms that week. So you mentioned Happy Death Day to you and how it bothered you that it was more of a comedy. Doesn't that – could the same thing be said of Scream though? Because that was probably more of a comedy than a horror the movie. The first Scream was more of a horror. The second, third, and fourth slowly became more comedy. Okay. Which is okay. why I like the first one and less so the later ones. So Cole, this, is, this surprises me because this one notoriously was skewered by critics all over the place. If you check IMDb, all three of these movies are in the five point something <laughs> range That's on not user bad. reviews. That's not bad. That is – Really bad. bad. No, but I'm, what I'm saying out is of 10, like... 10, Jeff, not out of 5. As romantic comedy goes, that's average. I mean, that's what you expect a romantic comedy to be. And they all are the same. Most rom-coms <laughs> you check, even the ones that people say are good, are generally maligned by critics. And okay. then I also watched uh, Runaway Bride. You mentioned Richard Gere and yes. Julian Roberts earlier on. Uh, fun fact about this one, because I haven't seen a lot of rom-coms in my day, I have only seen two other julia roberts movies are you serious i saw this you're talking about an oscar winner julia roberts i am okay and what were the other two i've seen oceans 11 yes and of course she was tinkerbell in hook (laughs) (laughs) okay um hmm. anything else you'd like to say about those three romantic comedies it was a nice little door opening experience for me it is a genre of my movie knowledge that i've been missing out on and as a self-proclaimed cinephile that comes on and does reviews and does these kind of things i feel like i need to broaden my horizons once in a while and that's what i did so i'm glad i'm glad i saw him good for you cole but it sounds like you would recommend she's all that of those three it's slightly <laughs> more. just a little bit more a little bit all right now mickey's challenge was a little bit different because you know we talk a lot about movies and tv on screen cleaning but we wanted to give mickey an opportunity to discover the wonder that is cole say it with me one two three delilah, delilah. Well, it was a different note but i think people <laughs> got the gist of it so tell us who is delilah what is Delilah? Why is Delilah? Oh, man. That last one, I don't know if I can answer. <laughs> but I had never heard of Delilah before this challenge. She is a, a radio DJ who comes on the air and people call in and ask her to play them a song uh, per their situation, which sometimes is happy. Okay. I listened to one woman that had just gotten engaged and she wanted Yay. to send a special Good message news. Yes. to her fiance. And then I also listened to uh, someone who wanted to tell their mom happy Valentine's Day. That's awesome. And so Delilah will play a song that sort of fits their situation. And then, of course, one man who wanted his had, had made some mistakes and wanted his, uh, his girlfriend back. Uh, yes. And so Delilah played her a special message as well. Um, and then she just kind of picks love songs to play when she's not accepting callers. I will say they tend to be mostly from the 80s or 2000s. Well, because that, I mean, those, that's when all the good ones were, right? <laughs> no. <Yeah. laughs> I don't know if I would say that. But nothing from the 50s or 60s, because no, those no, no. were all about love back then. Right. And so... I do say she she does have sort of a gift for matching people's situations up hmm. with uh, songs. However, I would have liked to hear a little bit more diversity 
in her song selections, and I did listen to Delilah for quite a while. <laughs> it is. Okay. When you listen to any radio station, and I've worked in commercial radio with music as well, if you listen to that and only that for more than a couple hours, you start hearing the same yeah. songs over and over again. All the songs start blending together. That's true. That's just a fault of so, radio. So did she supplement it, supplement the songs with, here's my take on this. Is she like a licensed therapist or anything like that no i have no idea she does kind of give advice like she'll be like like she started saying she likes winter because her plants die and i was like yes but (laughs) what she meant was um that there are seasons of life and Sometimes you have a bad season and sometimes you have a good season. So it to was, everything, there it is a season. This is sounding like turn, every turn, rose turn. has its thorn. <laughs> did they play that one? They did not. Okay. Not that I'm sure they have played it before. <laughs> believe me. I would bet money on that. But, Interesting. But, uh, you know, it wasn't, it, it wasn't the worst two hours of my life. Can Delilah... That that's, all that, we, that's all we right. wanted to hear. Yeah. I love some of these reviews we're hearing today like... It wasn't the worst two hours of my life or the live-action Disney movies. It wasn't the worst movie I've ever (laughs) seen. I guess sometimes you just can't ask for more than that. Is Delilah going to save our love lives? Um, I hope that you do not have to resort to Delilah <laughs> to Seems save like there should be a few Things were going so yeah, well with that right. review, and then you added that little I caveat. I think that uh, <laughs> if you want to be uplifted in a very uh, sort of generically Christian manner, uh, definitely turn Delilah on. If you're looking for some real help, maybe... Talk to your friends. Can we pull that couples counseling? Let's pull out that soundbite for the promo clip, uh, Cole. Okay. I hope you don't have to resort to Delilah. (laughs) Or even just a Spotify playlist. Take it out of context. It sounds worse than it actually did because that was, that would, taken out of context, that would sound bad in any sense. Let me also say she does have a gift for matching people's situations up to, like, and like, like that. Like, Good. right off the bat, she can do it. Where can we find Delilah? Um, I listened on iHeartRadio.com. She does a podcast where she'll interview, like, okay. big names um, in her farmhouse, which she does mention quite frequently. <laughs> so <laughs> there's lots of places to she find her. She goes by one name, lives in a f- barn house. I see where this is going. Well, thank you, Mickey, for, for uh, following through with that challenge. I think... Neither of you are as brave as I had to be to get through my challenge. And I emphasize to get through it. The most most entertaining thing about watching The Bachelor, the TV show, which apparently is really popular. I've never seen it. I had never seen it It before this challenge. It gets the most viewers in its time slot every Monday night. (laughs) Oh, that makes me sad. Yes. The most entertaining thing about it was the spoof commercial for The Bachelor that was advertising, isn't it romantic? So it had Adam Adam Devine and it had Rebel Wilson and some other girl. And it made me laugh because I had seen the show and I could see the parts of the show that they were making fun of. Now you're in on the joke. That was the best part. So, yeah, I'll grant you that. I may not have appreciated that ad as much, that one-minute ad, had I not seen The Bachelor. But you watched three other hours of actual Bachelor. But, oh, How'd that go for you? If we had time and if this particular show deserved this type of discussion, I would get up on a lift like Al Gore in An Inconvenient Truth and have it lift me all the way to the top of this list of grievances that I have with this show. Let me just start off by basically giving a public service announcement and saying that The Bachelor is a dangerous dangerous show. It is a manipulative show. And what I mean by that is the guy on the show in this case, because there's also the bachelorette where you can have uh, one female and however many guys they bring on. Um, This season, there were 30 girls that Colton started off with. Oh, gosh, they started out. I feel sorry for all 30 of them. This guy, Colton, He can be very manipulative, and I'm not saying that it's all him. I'm sure there are a lot of producers behind the scenes saying, okay, now do this, now say this, where he'll basically say things like, I need to know that you're serious. I need to know this. And it's all the same dialogue for the entire hour and a half, two-hour show. 
And to me, that just screams that in order to get this guy's approval, you have to do things that maybe you're not comfortable with and that make you as a viewer uh, very uncomfortable. You got to step outside your comfort zone. Sometimes you go bungee jumping with Colton. To me, it just screams like if you don't like give me this kiss or if you don't. There is a rose at the end of these one-on-one dates that they go on, and you either get the rose, which means you're basically immune from being eliminated, or you don't get the rose. That sends red flags up, and I did not appreciate that. I I also had a problem with the fact that, okay, let's say these people are legitimately interested in each other, which is very unlikely because— They're looking for love. They're looking for fame, and— <laughs> He is contractually uh, contractually obligated to carry this through to the end of the show. So let's say he finds his soulmate within the first few episodes. Like he, there's somebody he's genuinely interested in, and there are always favorites. He has to Cassie, continue Hannah G. going on all these dates, kissing all these different women, which I'm sure he's not complaining about. But what does that do to the other women, and what does that do to the woman that is genuinely interested in him? But isn't that dating? In general, aren't you supposed also, no, to vary? No, this your, is not normal. For, also, your do pool. you do you actually believe in love at first sight? Because these are people that he's never seen before. So, sure, maybe he has a favorite at the beginning, but he's getting to know her during the course of these this okay. whole season. And of episodes. what if dating just sort of further emphasize? Hey, I thought you were on favorite. my side here. I Mickey. am, except for maybe on this point. <laughs> okay, but listen. There are negative connotations, as we know. We're here on a college campus. So we've heard the term player, and that has negative connotations. It's not a normal thing to be dating 30 women at once. It's not normal, and it's not healthy in my book. So another thing is I felt like I was watching a scene out of ancient Rome. They went in an outing, and basically this show exists Purely for the sake of showing all these exotic locations. This season they've been to Thailand and Vietnam. Right. And in Vietnam, they took these uh, these kung fu – not kung fu, but they took these, these fighting lessons. And in one of the activities, they had the women fighting each other. And I do feel like I was watching ancient Rome where there was some emperor who in this case would be Cole giving a thumbs up or a thumb down. Oh, fight for my pleasure and entertainment. It was really quite degrading and uh, it was kind of embarrassing. Most of them just had fun with it. Yeah. That sounds pretty bad. I don't think I could. Yeah. So there's also a kissing booth aspect to this show. It's like – all right, send the next one in that I can make out with. Well, they haven't even made it to the fantasy suites yet either. The, well, yeah. I don't even want to know what really, that is. Really, the most disturbing part of this is, though, they're getting paid. Like, everybody involved is getting paid to date, is getting paid to kiss. So I don't even want to talk about where I'm headed with that thought. I think you can put two and two together, but it's kind of disturbing. I think this is a dangerous show. I think it sets up unrealistic expectations for what a man should be or or like what a man or how a man should act and be in a relationship the same uh, thing to be said I'm of a woman. I'm glad that you've finally come around to the unrealistic expectations part of your quibbles because all three of our things that we went out to see today, whether it's silly love songs on the radio or rom-coms in the movies, all set up, or, or even romance novels, they all set up unrealistic expectations for what real-life love is. I agree. Sometimes it's just escapism. We like to believe, you like to get into it for a second, that maybe Colton really is going to find the love of his life in this <laughs> pseudo-reality TV show. Okay, which brings me to my final point. Forget everything I said about this show being a dangerous show. And uh, a public danger, I guess I should say. In the end, the biggest crime that The Bachelor commits is it's so incredibly bland. So the dialogue is just so vague and it's generic. And it really seems like the show was written for radio because these characters will describe everything that they see, which you see because you're watching it on television, too. And their conversations are all the same. They're so uninteresting. And I thought I would write down and share with you one of these conversations as the woman who has never been kissed. Yeah, right. And Colton are walking on the beach. Her name is Heather, and it's probably true. (laughs) Okay, here we go. Here we go. Uh, Colton. Oh, what are those lights out there? Heather. That's what I was wondering. That's what I was asking. I think it's 
boats? I don't know. Awkward silence. So pretty, though. Colton. Yeah. Awkward silence. So pretty. But then by the end of that one-on-one, <laughs> they kissed for the first time and there were actual fireworks and it was a beautiful moment. Yeah, all manufactured for television. Anyway, we hope you all enjoyed listening to the little bit of misery that we had to go in uh, or go through this Valentine's Day. And, you know, sometimes you're a little uncomfortable when, like, if I were to tell Cole, I love you, Cole, that might make you a little bit uncomfortable. But Not me. Oh, Well, that makes me happy. What a way to end this segment. And when we return, we're going to continue this theme of romantic comedies. And we're going to share some of our favorite romantic comedies when we return. This is Screen Cleaning. It's the season of love here on Screen Cleaning. I just like to start out by saying the cheesiest lovey-dovey things I can think of just to see if the cheeks of Mickey and Cole are going to glow bright red. You just sound like Is Delilah Delilah. <laughs> so I'm used to it. We've been talking love on the show today. We issued some love challenges earlier, and uh, we had mixed results with those. I was probably a little too pessimistic in mind, but all you have to do is watch The Bachelor and you'll understand where I'm coming from. And if it's your favorite show, I apologize. For me, it just is not my favorite show. (laughs) You're allowed to enjoy it. I'm here to defend you all. (laughs) Right. So Cole's challenge was to watch three romantic comedies and to talk about them. And he endured them to his credit. But now we want to talk about some of the better ones that you could enjoy this Valentine's Day with your significant other. I'll start with one of my favorites that's a PG-rated romantic comedy. It's one that doesn't get brought up enough in these conversations. And the cast is so likable, so charming, that it's difficult to resist. I would say that it is kind of a hard PG, but it's directed by Bonnie Hunt, who's also in the cast. But the main leads are David Duchovny, which seems like an odd choice, and Minnie Driver. The two of them together have such great chemistry, and you just love falling in love with these people that are falling in love with each other. The great, uh, the big premise of the movie is he loses his wife um, at the beginning of the film, and these people find each other, and I'm not going to mention the little special twist that happens in the middle of the movie, but it has Carol O'Connell. Well, Carol O'Connor from All in the Family. It's got Bonnie Hunt. It's got uh, Jim Belushi in it. It's got David Allen Greer. So a lot of these people that have deep sitcom roots in this film, and it is so much fun to watch. You'll love it. It's called Return to Me. Interesting. Okay. Well, yeah. yeah. One that I really like um, is very famous, maybe the best romantic comedy of all time, When Harry Met Sally. Ah, yes. Billy Crystal, Meg this Ryan. It's probably number one on a lot of people's lists. Yeah, it's really, really smart. Billy Crystal is not, you know, maybe the most conventionally handsome sure. man. And so I really like that choice of him in this movie. You may develop some unrealistic expectations from watching this, but nonetheless, it's a great film. And one you should see, uh, but be careful because it is uh, rated R. For a few... Uh, Some language. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think it's probably more realistic than a lot of other romantic comedies in that these people don't end up together until many, many years Mm -hmm. later. It's a take it slow kind of romance. They've both been married to other people. They've been divorced. I love that Carrie Fisher is in this. She's awesome. And Bruno Kirby is in it, too, who was in City Slickers. The sad thing is both of those people have passed on. At a very young age. Mm-hmm. Well, him more so than Carrie Fisher. But when Harry met Sally, that should come as no surprise to a lot of people, I think. So when I set out to watch rom-coms this week, it's, this week, it's because I had not seen a lot of the traditional ones. Mm-hmm. I have not seen either of the ones that you've brought up already. But when I called my parents, as I do once a week because I'm a good son, <laughs> I... <laughs> well, that now I feel bad, Cole. <laughs> they, they reminded me that I have seen more rom-coms than I give myself credit for because... All of the movies I grew up watching on Turner Classic Movies from the 30s, 40s, and 50s 
could count as rom-coms. Anything mm. with Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. Sure. Anything mm-hmm. where... It happened have... one night. And that's the one that I want to talk oh, about. Because wow. It Happened One Night is one of the best rom-coms ever, and it's one of the earliest examples we have of the formula. What's the you premise these... of that one again? Two people that just kind of get shoved into a situation together. They they put up a little curtain in the middle of their hotel room that they have to share because they they didn't oh, like each cute. other, but they're forced to be around each other. And then they learn to love each other during the course of the movie. Mm. Well, now you've ruined it, Cole. The, but I guess well, you just described well, spoiler, every, I mean, every romantic comedy. going to happen when you watch that. <laughs> wow. You know, it doesn't always end that way, though. I mean, true. I guess if it doesn't end that way, it's typically not a romantic comedy. Ooh, then could I start the second round of our favorites? Because my sure. my favorite modern rom-com is 500 Days oh, of Summer. Oh, that was mine, <gasps> Which is a pessimistic rom-com. Right. And also, if you love this, go check out Annie Hall, oh. which is just... 500 Days of Summer in the 80s. You know what I just read? I read an interesting thing. I guess Joseph Gordon-Levitt and uh, um, Zoe Deschanel, Deschanel, they did an article. uh, It's been 10 years since that movie came out. They rewatched it. And she shared her take on it. She's like, a lot of people will watch this and think that Summer is the villain. However, you're only getting Joseph Gordon-Levitt's perspective in the movie. So, you know, when she starts to open up to him and and really talk about her feelings, he doesn't really pay attention to her or something to that effect. Mm -hmm. And so you see her as the villain because you only see it through his perspective. Right. Also, she was honest with him the whole time. Mm -hmm. It's true. She was very clear about her intentions and he kind of, you know, let his imagination play with them. And the whole movie is about the side effects of having these unrealistic expectations set up by sappy 80s love songs Mm -hmm. or romantic. Yeah. comedies that he didn't understand like The Graduate. And I don't know that this would be considered a rom-com, but it's certainly a romantic movie, La La Land, which doesn't oh, end the I way that. that you think it probably should. I actually don't think it would have been as good as it is if it had a happy they ending. Had. Or mm-hmm. the typical happy ending. When you know? I was thinking of some of those classics, Casablanca came up on my list, and that sure. made me think of the ending of La La Land. Right, even though it's not a rom-com. Um, a few others that I would definitely put on my top favorites, The Wedding Singer, of course. I've already mentioned Defending Your Life on last week's show. When I was in high school, Ten Things I Hate About You was a very important film to me. And... Uh, yeah, Mickey, were there any others that would be on your list of favorite rom-coms? I really like The Big Sick. A oh, yes. Oscar nominee for, I yes. believe, screenplay based on a true story. Um, and it, it does end up happy. However, you know, there are struggles and trials that Kumail Nanjiani and his real wife actually went through, kind of dealing with their family true. and being different religions. So funny, so sweet. Again, be careful about the language there, uh, but a lot of heart in that movie and one of my favorites. It'll really, show really up sweet. on TV someday or just watch it through VidAngel. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, very interesting. So we've given you so many different options to choose from this weekend. Hopefully we've sparked some of your favorites into your memories. And yeah, I can't wait for my copy of La La Land on 4K. Ooh, I just got a 4K exciting. player to show up so that my wife and I can enjoy it again. Such a good movie. And when we return, we're going to have a really interesting discussion about something called the Bechtel Test. Mickey Randall is going to tell us what it is coming up next when we return on Screen Cleaning. Think about your favorite movie. Remember your favorite parts, the characters, the dialogue, everything. Now, let's put it to the test. The Bechdel test, that is. Now, what's the Bechdel test, you might be asking? Well, it's a film reviewing technique developed by comic strip artist Alison Bechdel that can assist you in gauging the involvement of women in your movie. To pass the Bechdel test, the movie must meet three specific criteria. Number one, there must be at least two women in the film. Number two, at some point, they must have a conversation with each other. And number three, the conversation must not be about a man. According to a study conducted by the Gina Davis Institute on Gender Media, out of the 120 films released between 2010 and 2013, only 31% of named characters were female, and only 23% of them had a female protagonist. So, it's easy to see how this test can be useful. Film criticism that addresses representation is important and can help us face the facts. 
When we have more women in film, we get different stories. New stories are never aimed at replacing old stories, just creating more to go around. And that means more to love. Even so, the Bechdel test isn't perfect. Often, historical fiction films like Saving Private Ryan fail because there were no women in the situation the filmmakers were trying to portray. And that doesn't make it a bad film. It's just food for thought. So think about it. Did your movie pass the test? That was so fascinating. I kind of want to go out and try that and, you know, apply that test to the movies that I've watched. I wonder how many of them. Is you there... should. There's a website, actually. Okay. I, I don't remember the URL off the top of my head, but you just Google the Bechtel test and you can type in most movies and it will tell you if it passes or not. Okay. Also, once you get this bug in your head, you'll start noticing it every time. Mm-hmm. So it's it's very easy to notice once a movie passes because you can see the Two gal characters talking to each other, right. not about a dude, and you just – I make a mental tick in my head. Oh, there we go. Right. So because it's Valentine's Day, Mickey, tell us tell us the Valentine's Day spin you're putting on this Bechtel test. So rom-coms are definitely interesting to apply this Bechtel test theory to because uh, there's always – you know, there's always a female lead in these. Mm-hmm. I mean almost always. And we thought it would be interesting to see if – these movies with a female lead can pass the Bechdel test because yeah. often, you know, even if there are two female characters in the scene, they are often talking about a man. It seems like it would be more difficult for a romantic right. comedy to do that because, in, you know, usually they're talking about a member of the opposite sex. And a thought that I had when I was watching rom-coms this week is, do they even pass the opposite of a Bechdel test? Are there times where two men are having a conversation not about a woman? Because every right. conversation is about someone of the opposite sex. Well, right. you, if it's men, it's usually, you know, some issue that they've got with their dad. Mm-hmm. It's usually what it is. <laughs> <laughs> and I like – when I'm talking about the Bechdel test, I always like to say just because it fails the Bechdel test doesn't mean that it's like an evil movie or sure. you shouldn't watch it. Anti-feminist. It's just a good way <laughs> to gauge uh, the involvement of women who are sometimes underrepresented in a realistic way. So here are some romantic comedies that do pass the Bechdel test. Uh, we've got – Legally Blonde, one of my favorite all-time movies. Mm. Um, not so much a rom-com, but there is that that aspect. Oh come on! She goes Luke to Luke Wilson Harvard is so dreamy. It's a rom-com. To, but I think it's about <laughs> more about self-actualization, right? She goes to Harvard to get back her ex-boyfriend, uh, and ends up being one of the best lawyers. She solves the case, and she and everyone kind of underestimates her her whole life, and she. Realize that she actually can do it and she is smart. Yeah. So, But there is the romantic aspect and she does get with one of the Wilson brothers at the end. And uh, it does clearly pass the Bechtel test. We've also got 13 going on 30, mm-hmm. which I would have to revisit. I've never uh, seen it. It's it's decent. I don't love Jennifer Garner. Okay. But, Ooh, uh, side note. I've seen so few Julia Roberts movies that for the first half of Runaway Bride, I thought it was Jennifer, Jennifer Garner. Jennifer Garner. <laughs> wow. Hmm. They and do, then I, thought, I can see how you got that confused. Is it Hilary Swank? Definitely not. Maybe it's Jennifer Garner. <laughs> or is it... They all look the same. All of these yeah, chick flick I get that. stars. How dare you. Uh, <laughs> Miss Congeniality passes the Bechtel test. Okay. She's an FBI agent in that one going undercover. She is. Okay. How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. She's a, like a, a columnist or something? I don't think or? I've ever seen that. Oh, I I'm, love that. I've never I've seen, seen that one multiple times. Really? Okay. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a that classic place. like make a bet and then at the end they find out that it was a bet and so they have a falling out for half of a second like before they realize all they loved each other. It's like she's all that. It's a common premise. Except <laughs> that was a two-way bet, right? In 10 thing or a... Uh, how ten, to lose a guy ten in ten things, days. I, ten things I want to lose about a guy or something. I don't know. <laughs> something okay. like that. All right. Uh, Bridget Jones' Diary mm-hmm. passes the Bechtel test. Interesting. No reservations, which I have never seen. But when I was looking this up, I thought I might have to watch that one. By the way, don't go out to eat on Valentine's Day without a reservation. Yeah, that's... Did you learn that the hard way? No, I went out the weekend before Valentine's <laughs> oh. Day, and I got there at like four forty-five, and there was like a forty-minute wait. Couldn't believe it. Yeah, you gotta you gotta get on that. So make sure you have reservations, or you could just stay home and watch. No reservations. Hmm, and that's also a PG romantic comedy, I believe. Then we've got While You Were Sleeping. Okay. And a Cinderella story. 
Which is with Hilary Duff okay. and Chad Michael Murray. Who's that Chad one Michael? I've who's Chad Michael Murray? Seen. Have you seen Freaky Friday? Yep. Not the new one. Oh, well, he's in, he's from that. Okay. <laughs> he was an early 2000s yeah. heartthrob. I watched well, this movie a lot when I was little. So this is really interesting, and it gives us a lot to think about as we choose the movies that we watch. Um, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned that about so many of these romantic comedies, because I think... I think there are probably aspects of uh, Isn't It Romantic that could pass the Bechdel test. Yeah, because that's awesome. I don't want to spoil anything uh, for the movie, but there, I think there are some conversations that don't revolve around men, which is a good thing. Yeah. So as we like to do, and I want to say thank you to Mickey for putting that research together and sure for putting thing. that package together. Let's end our show, as we always do, with our Panning for Good segment. There's good in them dire hills. I wanted to save one of my favorite romantic comedies for Panning for Good, because it's one that you really ought to revisit. If you've never seen it, then it's one you ought to discover. It was a Best Picture winner back in the 60s. And the leads were both nominated for acting awards. Neither of them won, but it did win Best Picture. It's a black and white comedy directed by Billy Wilder, who has done a lot of romantic comedies like Some Like It Hot. And this is a film that would not, speaking of unrealistic, would not be realistic today because it is a film called The Apartment starring Jack Lemmon uh, and Shirley MacLaine, she is an elevator operator. First of all, they don't really have those anymore. And he works. I don't. Even, I don't even remember what kind of a business it was. It may be like an accounting firm or something. Just somewhere boring in the office. But building. he's just some sh- unnamed schlub that people only know him because he's a bachelor and he happens to have this apartment that people take advantage of on the weekends when they're having their extramarital affairs. Now, this is either a rated G or a not-rated movie. Back then, this would be something that the general public could go and see. But this is a film that I said could be – it would be totally unrealistic today because, you know, you would be sued through the teeth – for sexual harassment if you were a boss business wise yeah for that right. to happen. like making promises to this poor guy that you're going to ad- advance his career if you give him at or if he gives you access to his apartment so yeah it, it certainly could not be made today is not very realistic but you watch it because the chemistry between Shirley MacLaine and Jack Lemmon is just electric and you just feel so bad for this guy because he's so likable and he's an everyman and you want so badly for him to get the girl. And I won't tell you how it ends, but it's a sweet ending to a sweet movie. Check out The Apartment. 1960s Best Picture winner. I found it because I was trying to find what beat Psycho for the Academy Award. And it was ah, this movie. And it's a good one. So there you have it. We've issued several challenges to each other that I guess by extension we could issue to you as well. But, you know, why not go for the safe bets of some of these romantic comedies on Valentine's Day? And watch them together. You want to feel good. You don't want to feel bad about yourself. Watch them together. Pop some popcorn. Pull out that rose and definitely give it to your significant other. Don't vote them out of your life. That's going to do it for this episode of Screen Cleaning. And uh, we hope you have a fantastic Valentine's Day. This is, after all, the season of love. We'll see you next week.